and welcome to Dowdy. This is a podcast where me, your host, Mariano Feijó, will invite friends, acquaintances, or people within my seven degrees of separation to chat about the concept of bravery. I'll be a little too nosy and ask them to share their experiences of braveness, which I know is not a real word, but you'll hear me justify its use over and over again. I'm a procrastinator, lazy procrastinator. Hey, hey, hey. I keep altering Prodigy's lyrics to fit my personality as well as of a fire starter, as I intended to be as a teenager who used to sing along to them. I first came up with the concept for this podcast over a year ago, and even recorded one episode around that time. A mix of the aforementioned procrastination with a pinch of wanting it to be perfect meant I kept delaying it. Surprise, surprise! A pandemic happened! And four months after it fully hit the UK, I'm finally releasing its first few episodes, letting go of the perfectionism and letting it change and evolve as I learn how to chat to people and record and edit sound. My first guest is Yanis Cove, who I've invited to introduce himself. I'm Yanis Cove. I'm a writer, uh, improviser. I do little bits of pieces here and there. I, I, I'm on a team called Comediasians. Uh, we're an all-Asian improvisation troupe. <laughs> and I write sketch, satire, and lots of other things like that. Great. Uh, so this podcast is about braveness, which I'm not even sure is a word. Bravery. I should be saying courage. <laughs> courage. Uh, bravery. Bravery is a word. Let me man. Let me mansplain it to you. Bravery. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like I'm foreign, so I I will have I will say words that are not real. But that's like the one of the cute things about language. At least braveness sounds real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I prefer prefer. I think I prefer bravery to courage because courage seems bigger. Uh... But that's also what we're here to discuss. It's the concept of the words. Uh, but we'll start by having our guests telling us a story of a moment in their life where they think they were brave or went out of their comfort zone. Because I think most of us will have a hard time uh, admitting they were brave mm. ever. So let's start with Yanis. What is your bravery story? <laughs> uh, so about someone was this, 2014. I was out of work and couldn't get anything and suddenly decided what's a way of also being able to see the world and how can I like see somewhere I've never been before and I remembered that in university someone had told me about uh, the opportunity to go and teach in other countries through um, something called a TEFL certification and uh, one of the places I was I've been considering wanting to go to in the first place was Japan because I'd always been interested in the culture. Uh, there was a lot of things there I'd liked about it, uh, but I knew not, next to nothing about what it was really like to live there. So I thought it'd be interesting to kind of take that and go for a year, two years, something like that, see how it would go. So I, I did an intensive course for a month and that got, that got me certified to be able to go out there and uh, teach English. The issue was I didn't speak a word of Japanese. And so I went, uh, so I decided that I uh, would attempt to learn it myself. And so I, would, I, I picked up kind of the basic, because it's very complicated Japanese, because there's essentially... There's two different uh, alphabets, three. right? And three. <laughs> well, two, two to three, it, it works weirdly because there's, so there's... Hiragana, which is the, the very basic alphabet, which you can learn fairly easily. Um, 
about I think it's the same amount of letters, um, but it's all it's it all looks different to like the English alphabet. But there's only so much you can say with them. Then there's katakana, which is used as a way of I believe it's used as a way of um, using like English dialect in there, like so you can you can use English. It's, it's more a way of like getting English words into those. I think it's something to do with that. Those are like the two that you can learn fairly easily. Then there's uh, kanji, which are like all the things that you, you're used to seeing, which are just each thing, each symbol means it's like a combination of different things. And so it means something completely different that I struggle to learn. So I went out there knowing like hiragana fairly well, katakana, okay, and no kanji. <laughs> how, how does that reflect in, in the way you speak though? Because you know, it's, like the or the old bit of it. How it's all the it? same. It it's all spelled, it's all spoken in the same way. But but um, you wouldn't be able to read it from somewhere. And and, and uh, so like if if you're looking at a shop sign or something like in uh, you're trying to read like what you're going to order somewhere. Uh, it, there's things that you just aren't going to understand at all. <laughs> what I was going to ask you before is uh, where you lived in uh, Japan. Did you live the, throughout the whole time in the same place? Was it a big city, a small city? So uh, when I first got there, I had to fly into... Um, oh, what did I fly into? Uh, oh, I'm blanking on the name of it. <laughs> I flew into a, a, a big city. <laughs> um, what is the name of it? It was Nagoya. I'm glad I didn't uh, try to guess, as I have shown my uh, ignorance about cities in Japan. Uh, I might have gone with Tokyo, Osaka, Kyoto, the really big ones. <laughs> but I flew, I flew into there, and it was a big, it was a big city. It was the, it's like it was the hub of uh, like all the training places, and it was just, it's more of like a business area though, as opposed to like to say mm -hmm. Tokyo or somewhere like that. So there wasn't really a whole lot to do in that place. And I stayed there for like, I had to stay there for three weeks to train, but it was a good introduction because it kind of gets you out of the comfort zone of, because there's, there wasn't a lot of English being spoken as opposed to with like Tokyo, for example, where like English is spoken everywhere. It like just puts you straight into having to dive straight you have to dive into like all of that sort of thing. And so when we weren't learning how to teach, I was kind of trying to test myself into speaking and reading and all of those things in, in, in Japanese. And it was kind of, it, it was interesting because a lot of the other people there on the course had some level of Japanese speaking uh, and understanding. And so I felt like a lot of them found it a little bit easier initially. Yeah. And then I was also like combining with that, it was also a, a case of trying to remember, we had to remember this whole huge booklet of everything we were being trained on because we had a, a, an exam at the end of it that we had to pass in order to be able to teach. There was the, the combination of like doing a lot, a lot of things at the same time. Yeah. A lot of learning at the yeah. same time. Yeah. But it's also, it's learning like English city. and Japanese at the same time, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Even if English is your yeah. first language, it was like you were also learning. It's going back to the basics of learning English again. Yeah. <laughs> it was making sure that we remembered everything because if you teach anything wrong, then they're going to take that into the future. They're going to, they're going to like uh, start speaking in a different way that that's not how you speak English, basically, or how you write English. And when you went there, did you know anyone there or were you all alone? No, I was all alone. <laughs> I knew nobody there. But the interesting thing was where I... And where I eventually got placed, I there there's a channel called um, Abroad in Japan, which I'd been watching up until then. 
and he mentioned that he was uh he mentioned i remember him mentioning in one of the videos that he was um living in yamagata uh which was a city up north and suddenly i got placed in uh, the, uh in yamagata and i thought oh perfect i'll reach out to him on youtube and see uh get any tips and see if he wants to meet up and all those sorts of things turns out yamagata is a lot bigger than i realized and it he was three hours away from <laughs> <laughs> That's like, you can't see me, uh, people listening. This was the point on the podcast that I realized that you can't see my faces. Uh, and then I need to talk in order to show you my reactions. Learning curve. <laughs> uh, but I just made a face because for me, like inside the same city, something being three yeah. hours away, even in London, it's crazy. <laughs> you must understand, I grew up in a small town in the north of Portugal. You can probably go from the very top to the very bottom of Portugal in around 10 hours. It will never take three hours to drive from one end to the other end of a, even a metropolitan area. It's mind-blowing. Yeah, it turns out, so I got placed in Yamagata City. What I didn't realize was Yamagata has a whole, it's, it's a prefecture, uh, they call them. And, and he was like on the outskirts in the real countryside of Yamagata, which I did not realize there was a, a big difference, which shows my, how much of knowledge I had of Japan as, as a whole. Yeah. <laughs> I knew like three places before going there. And it's crazy because you like, I don't know, when you mentioned Yamagata, I thought maybe it's like a smaller place because I've never heard of it. And that's like showing how stupidly our minds work <laughs> because Japan is huge. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of places I haven't heard of, obviously. But then like that, there's three hours distance inside the same place is like crazy. Yeah. So like, I, I never ended up meeting that guy, but he gave me like some tips on uh, Yamagata City and things like that. But then when I, get, I ended up getting there and the guy that was going to show me around that was already uh, teaching there, I had to meet someone at the, uh, at the train station. Uh, turns out he had lived in London in the, in the past and he knew exactly, like I knew exactly the street he lived on was really weird he like was a big Arsenal fan so we had like loads to talk about in the car on the on the journey yeah we just like knew we knew like both areas of where we were from really well so we had like that connection there then he put me in touch with all the other uh, English teachers there who immediately like put me in a whatsapp group and we and they reached out and they're like oh come meet up with us tonight met up with them ended up being like really good friends with them that was like my core group of friends because what I later found out was that there's this weird part of culture in Japan where I, I say weird it's like it's normal to them but they um it's weird to us that they make friends in primary school and then that those are their friends for life and they tend they don't tend to veer outside of that it was very hard to make and especially like with the foreign teachers there, they don't tend to make friends with them because they know they're not there for the long haul and that's like another like interesting difference because I, I was thinking I'm, I'm not really friends with anyone from primary school. Yeah, I I think I have a couple on Facebook, but I don't like keep in touch with them. <laughs> I have them on Facebook. I'm like I'm currently in lockdown in my hometown. Some of them are still here. I still one of them is like in the pharmacy. So if I go to the pharmacy, I'm like, hey, <laughs> you're there. I know. Yes, you still know you were friends, but we're not really really friends. I'm not not like in touch with them regularly yeah. <laughs> to tell them about my life. So it's. I don't think I've seen most of them since primary school, which is the, the interesting thing about that. I think like, yeah, definitely the internet has that effect. That's like, mm. I, I 
have seen the primary school people because they're all on Facebook and Instagram and whatever. So I can, I still remember them or I still, I will still <laughs> know them if I see, if I see them in the street, because I see them online all the time. And that's also like the internet and the way we connect mm. online now. It's also ha- helped you with connecting with the uh, teachers, uh, the community of English yeah. teachers in place so there's a huge community of english teachers um it's it's strange every it's there's this weird thing where like every english teacher there seems to know each other or like know someone who knows someone else basically everyone like you will know if you meet someone that's teaching there you will know someone that knows them at least it's very weird and there's there's a lot of schools there that uh, that you can be working from <laughs> so it's very strange to have that and it, are those teachers mostly coming from the UK? no they come from uh, um a lot of them come from australia a lot of them come from canada the us i'd say the uk is about the fourth on the list out of all of it yeah had someone uh, one of my friends came from the philippines but yeah but they try they primarily primarily try to take people that have english as their first language i know like in portugal there were some programs after like i left uni i heard of them also because i like studied science yeah. so i guess it wasn't targeted at me but there were some programs for like uh, people to learn japanese so they could do programs in japan yeah. but i don't think it will be to like teach uh, <laughs> english i think it was just for them to learn Japanese but yeah not that it will be so unbelievable that a Portuguese person could teach English abroad by the time I reached uni I had gone through all the British Council uh, curriculum and I was allowed to teach English so I could have gone to Japan to teach English why didn't I yeah that was the weird thing so we weren't allowed to use any Japanese in the classroom the majority of my time in like teaching was never hearing any any Japanese at all and then I would go outside and suddenly like just be surrounded by it so it was just like living two worlds <laughs> yeah two very separate worlds what ages were you teaching uh, that was another weird thing I had to teach every age up to 18 it gets weirder so <laughs> I was teaching from six months old with the parents in the classroom <laughs> did the parents speak English? the parents did not speak English the point uh, like the whole the whole point of like the from six months to two years old you're supposed to teach the parents to be able to speak English to the, the six months olds who weren't even speaking in the first place <laughs> so that that was like a really weird thing about it and it was basically just it, it ended up being me just like teaching brush your teeth and things like that and then singing to them I would sing like nursery rhymes to them and that was about it <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's interesting that, and like the commitment to teaching yeah. English to six months old it's like a lot I found that like that was one thing that was like really out of my comfort zone was to like be able to get in front of a, a classroom and sing to them because that is not something I do or it's not something I did at the time I guess it's an issue yeah. it's like something else you, <laughs> you get from living in a whole different place teaching English <laughs> I'm thinking because when I learned and I don't know anything but when I learned German and I was an adult I came into class and the teacher started speaking German to me <laughs> I knew nothing of German and the teacher just like immediately spoke German and waited for me to reply and it took me a little bit to understand what was happening and then like I, I did understand that he was telling me how mm. he was called and probably asking me my name so I did understand it but he never spoke I learned it in Portugal he never spoke Portuguese in class he would only speak German to people who had no knowledge of German and it was hard I yeah. think it was like a way I didn't like learning a language you couldn't you wouldn't speak Japanese with your students no 
I found it very hard to even like now I've almost nearly forgotten it. And I was there for a year and a half. I've, I don't remember next to anything about Japanese language anymore. I do notice that if I am watching something in Japanese and I have like English subtitles or something, I start to pick things up again. Or if I hear or if I start trying to read it uh, like hiragana or katakana, I can kind of get it again. But yeah, it's next to God. It's, it's been, I've been back for five years now. And it, yeah, it's pretty much gone. I guess that it's difficult to like keep it up because you don't have how to practice. Yeah. In saying that, there's a ton of people in the improv community in London. Uh, I mean, two of the people I knew about left <laughs> who do speak Japanese and who have lived in yeah. Japan. So it's always fun to me to see how many people have lived in Japan it's, teaching English or yeah. speaking or whatever. I seem to come across a lot of people here that have done that. <laughs> quite strange yeah but super yeah. cool <laughs> and like how was it as an experience did you enjoy it did i loved you, it did you get what you wanted from it the one thing i didn't get was the ability to travel <laughs> yeah my fusive agreement here comes from the fact that i've been living in london for six years and i'm embarrassed to tell you how much of the uk i've actually visited i had big plans for this year but i think i won't be able to travel that much <laughs> <laughs> Did you travel anything inside Japan? Yes, I traveled. So I traveled inside Japan when I could because I was in Yamagata, which was about six hours north of Tokyo by coach. I got to see Tokyo three times while I was there. And then because basically I would, I would, we would work uh, Tuesday to Saturday was our main schedule and then occasionally we would have so we would have Sunday and Mondays off but then each person would like rotate so someone would be working Mondays all the time as opposed to Saturday and someone would have Tuesdays off or something like that nobody ever had the same schedule and so it was very hard if you wanted to travel you essentially had to travel on your own yeah I got to see the first oh this is an interesting story actually the very first day I got there sorry the first week I got there I had a week free to just like go and do what I wanted before I started the training and I was a bullet train away from Kyoto and Osaka and so I, I took them there uh, I decided I was going to take them there for the day the day I decided it I got very sick with the flu but I still went anyway because I, I didn't have a lot of time and I was like this is my chance to go see Kyoto and Osaka so your memories of Kyoto and Osaka are married like fever yes it was a real fever dream like of a, of a trip so i went and literally i only I only went for the day to both places i i couldn't sleep i woke up at five in the morning got up got out of bed and like booked the train and, went, and got there by i think eight in the morning something like that and got to kyoto found what i wanted to see which was the you've seen lost in translation haven't you yes do you remember there's a scene where Scarlett Johansson goes to like a, a temple, like a shrine place and no? No, I think most of my memories from that movie are gone. I only remember the, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember very little of the movie. <laughs> so this was like the top thing I had on my list for some reason, but it was, I saw there was a shrine, there's a shrine she goes to in the film, which just always looked incredible to me. I was like, I really want to go there. Found out it was in Kyoto. So I was like, okay, this is the one thing I really want to do. So when I had that chance to go to Kyoto, I was like, okay, I'm taking that, going to this place. Had to try and figure it out, did not speak a word at the time. So had to try and figure it out. Didn't have any, I didn't have my phone to use because I didn't have my phone set up yet. <laughs> didn't have any internet or any, so I couldn't search or anything. Had to go up to people and ask them, hoping they spoke English. Found a mother and child. The child uh, decided to tran uh, do Google Translate on his phone to be able to like communicate with me, to give me directions to how to get to this place. People are they, friendly. They are very friendly. Yeah. yeah. 
that's one thing I loved about it. Like you could go up to anyone, everyone wanted to speak to you. Everyone was excited to try and speak English to you. I was excited to speak Japanese to them. And then they gave me like direct, so they gave me directions to go to Kyoto and from Kyoto to this place. Had to figure out how to get on two different buses to get there. Eventually got there, still had this fever. <laughs> and it was the hottest, it was, I think it was 40 degrees at the time as well. <laughs> so on top of that. So you loved and, it. <laughs> but then I love. I did love it. It looked incredible. I took amazing photos there. Finished that. Thought, what else can I do? Found out Osaka was literally like 30 minutes away on the train. Got on that train, went to Osaka. Half the day had gone already. <laughs> went to like the main strip, which was like all the food, like the hub for food and everything. And they have uh, takoyaki, and, uh, which is squid in uh, covered in like a batter and then like covered in a sauce and everything mm-hmm. and bonito like fish flakes and stuff so i was like i have to order this while i'm here because it's like the main place to get it quite disappointed by that <laughs> but were you disappointed because it was bad yes. or were you disappointed because you were ill and couldn't no taste? i could taste it it didn't taste nice <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> It was like very soggy, which was I wasn't expecting. I thought it was going to be like really crispy. crispy yeah, It's the way you were describing it before, I thought it mm. would be crispy. I think it was covered in so much sauce that they like made it soggy. <laughs> I think I went to a tourist trap as well. Oh. <laughs> that was another thing I wanted to ask you before was because you didn't speak anything of the language, and I'm assuming you ate out quite a, a bit to like, mm, try food all the time. and stuff. <laughs> Did an, any disaster happen that you just ordered something completely oh, I have a story. out of your I comfort have a real story. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them, that's why we're here for, it's for the story. So there was, one, uh, there was one time we all went out to one of those sushi places that have the, like, the rotating sushi uh, bars. Yeah. Like your sushi, but not your but sushi. <laughs> yeah. Please sponsor me. <laughs> they, they had like a, a video screen where you could order from as well. And so we were just like, oh, let's have a bit of fun. Let's order things that we don't know what they are. <laughs> we ordered something. And then we're like, let's, let's eat it before we, uh, before we translate it first. We ate it. Tasted horrible. We translated it. It turns out it was cod sperm sack. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Like, said cod, yes, right? Yes, cod Cod is like one of the main dishes probably in Portugal. Yeah, I love cod. We eat cod <laughs> all the time. Like we, we, we boast about having like 500 or a thousand recipes for cod <laughs> I don't think we do codfish sperm, but I will ask around. <laughs> I'd never seen it. And then, like, looking back at it, it's very obviously that when you see the picture of it. I don't know. I've never imagined. It's, like it's very obviously that, but it's also back. a lot bigger than you think it would be. So you're saying uh, codfish are hung? I mean, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it's just what comes out of them. <laughs> so there was that time. And then there was another time where I was in Tokyo. We went to the Konami Cafe, I think it is. I don't think it exists anymore at this point. I think they closed it down. But it was the it was a cafe where it was like all it was based around like the video games of of Konami, I think. But each each item on the menu had some like speciality, like there was linked to a video game. And so I I was like, oh, I'm just gonna pick something. Ordered it, and it was all like fried chicken and things. And then suddenly there were fried chicken feet on the <laughs> on the plate as well. I'd never had chicken feet before. Tried those, and I was like, actually, this is nice. <laughs> I really like these. <laughs> But they had like that doesn't shock me as much. No, but they had like toenails in there, which was a little bit creepy. Yeah, that's <laughs> at least do like a little bit of money maybe. But like the whole, the whole point was that like, it was a horror game, so I think that's why they included the toenails. But ah, okay. I guess they assumed like we weren't going to eat them, which I didn't. 
did you know the game? Did you know the games? or I knew a few of the games. Did you choose it because you knew the game? Or... No, I think I chose it because I wanted some fried chicken. <laughs> I did, I, I'm not like a big gamer, so like, <laughs> see, like especially the, those kind of games, I don't really know them. Now I'm wondering if like the Cereal Cafe place in, is it called like, Cereal Cafe? Cereal Cafe. Cafe. Forget the one in I was, I was just, there's like, yeah, and I just thought it was the Cereal <laughs> Cafe. It's not, do they serve cereal like branded with cereal? No, they just serve expensive no, cereal. That would be way more more interesting if they did serve cereal based on cereal Yeah, I would killers. probably go there if they did that. I have like a new uh, business idea. Please hire me after coronavirus and let's do a you just bleep, bleep coffee this. shop based on cereal killers. Bleep this now. Yeah. <laughs> or at least like I t- uh, date stamp it. If someone steals my idea, I can sue them. <laughs> You do all the all the work, start earning money, and then I sue you and get all your money. I was gonna say the date, but I thought I better not in case you like don't release this for a while. Yes, <laughs> guys, I've tried to do this podcast before, and I've started another one, so that was never released. So that's what Janice is referring to. I was that was not what I was referring to. Just people sometimes people backdate them for a long time. Cool, you weren't. <laughs> I just ousted myself. <laughs> I want edit anything any of these out so yeah you only made friends with the english speaking which i felt bad teachers. about yeah. i did make friends with a couple of japanese people that like ended up being good friends but they were the ones that had like traveled outside of japan because one thing i did see, find as well is that they didn't know too much outside of their own culture so we were essentially becoming like cultural representatives for the rest of the world to teach them about other things so even to the extent where i was teaching not teaching but i was talking to uh one of the japanese teachers and she asked me about england and she said oh what i know about england is that it's uh, london is always foggy but you know like in Portugal, that's also like what they really? teach us when we learn English. That uh, uh, London is like the foggy city. It's always foggy. It's always raining. Yeah. When I first moved to London, I was like, "Well, this is actually not bad. This is like not was what I was expecting. The weather is way nicer than I ever expected it to be." Oh, but she showed me this book, and she and like they were teaching. The way they were teaching it was that everyone was like Sherlock Holmes, essentially. <laughs> it was really weird. <laughs> Nobody's like that. There's like a bunch of like b- bad, they're not bad stereotypes, but they're stereotypes that we learn when we learn mm. the language that are not actually real. Yeah. Like the, that's not properly a stereotype from when you learn the, the language, but one of the things we, we say in Portugal is uh, as punctual as an Englishman, uh-huh. something like that. <laughs> and no, it's not true. When I first went to do Erasmus, the first meeting we've done, I was there on time. The... Swiss guy was there on time, which I guess it's yeah, that's uh, that's correct. No English person was there on time. No Spanish person, Italian, not even the German guy was there on time. That's the surprising one. Like no one is punctual (laughs) in the UK, in London, from the people I know. I don't know if I know that many British people. (laughs) You you don't know that many British people, but you live in London. Yeah, true. (laughs) And people are not punctual. Another thing is like the English gentleman. Yeah, that I don't think that's a real thing. It was a bit, there's another thing there of like, um, I remember this one thing where I didn't, didn't know this was a thing before, but apparently they romanticize Paris a lot, uh, which I know everyone does, but they romanticize it at, like to such an extent, apparently, that there's this thing of, I can't remember what the exact term is, but they they turn up there and it's not clean <laughs> like they're expecting and they get so unbelievably disappointed that they, that they like start questioning everything about all their beliefs. Which is really sad. Paris is dirty. I don't believe anything <laughs> anymore. 
about my life. All my choices were wrong. <laughs> so uh, I'm curious if, like, when they they arrive here, like, hang on, it's not foggy. The sun. Oh no. <laughs> Where yeah, especially I? today where it's quite, quite sunny today it's true that it's like not a the, the, yeah like one of the things i guess because it doesn't rain and it's not foggy but there's almost always clouds in yeah. the sky so maybe that's what people <laughs> were trying to say when they said foggy I, no this was in a book <laughs> it, it was illustrated yeah, yeah they chose the foggiest <laughs> day i also think like some because there was like the smog thing which I guess yeah. made it foggier in the past. I just think it's like 1800s. I'm just trying to justify I think the it's like English very 1800s <laughs> London, early yeah. 1900s. It's like not a thing now. It's like the Industrial Let's Revolution. I think it's that sort of yeah. period. The UK has been stuck in the Industrial Revolution time ever since. Nothing has changed. Was there something you were expecting to do or experience in Japan that you didn't? Were there things that surprised you? I had I heard of a thing called the Robot Cafe. Uh, I don't know if you know it, but I'll explain it. I'll explain yeah. it anyway because it's <laughs> insane. It's a, so it's a cafe where I'm using in, in quotes. Uh, it's it's a cafe where you go and they put on a show full of robots and humans combined, and you have to see it to believe it basically because it's like not like anything you'll expect and everyone was just like just go there just i'm not going to tell you anything about it just go there you'll just trust me it's the best thing you'll ever see and it ended up being so insane that i was just like i want to keep going to this because it's crazy <laughs> but just like a, a normal like a theater performance? it's not a theater uh, it's like it's so it's um so you go there and you sit it's basically like going to a 50, 50 seat place or something like that. It's very small. And you think, oh, this, this isn't going to be that much. You go in, there's a robot moving around outside uh, before you go in. And you're like, oh, that's pretty cool. Then you go into the waiting room and there's people dressed all in silver playing musical instruments, but they're playing like contemporary music. Like they were playing Alicia Keys at one point and it was just very straight. It, didn't, it just felt very out of place in a robot restaurant. <laughs> and then you go in and sit down. And you have to decide you get a meal there as well while you're watching the show which was in the middle it's like so like half of you on one side half of you on the other side in the middle is the show oh, okay. and inside the show is like they come out and there's a boxing match between godzilla and king kong <laughs> there's robots uh someone comes flying in on a pterodactyl <laughs> it's just like I was like, that's like production value. There's so much production value to it. And in the meantime, you're just like sitting there eating a meal. Like this doesn't make any sense. And there's no, there's not a real storyline to it. It's just things happening. And like big things like, yeah, (laughs) yeah, Godzilla and pterodactyls. So this is a minor plug, but if you, I have a video where I recorded and you can see it, it's like, you can actually see like clips from it on there. It just looks insane. If you go to like my website, yaniscove.com, you can see it. Like, there's it's linked on there. Hmm. I'm I'm curious. I want to see how big was 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 that Godzilla. <laughs> I did go to check out that video at Yanis's website, and it is crazy. Big, huge robots dancing together with normal-sized people dressed in skimpy clothing. Robots playing music. Neon lights. Everything you can ask for from a robot show. <laughs> Just like, yeah. Did you did you eat? Was the food good? I, cannot, I, think that's I do not remember what we ate because I was so into like what watching the show that I do not remember what we ate at all. Maybe you ate codfish sperm again and you don't, you don't even notice. 
that's how they get you so that that was like one experience where i was like i I don't expect i wasn't expecting like anything too extreme and they just it just completely exceeded the expectations of what and so i I went with two other two other friends that were from england as well and we were all just like that's the best thing we've ever done Is it still there? Yes, it's still there. <laughs> All right. Oh, is it still? I thought you meant is it still like there? Yeah, it's still stuff. high up. Yeah, it's oh, still no. very high up. Okay. <laughs> it's not like it's very high up, but you've had better experiences. Uh, I mean, like <laughs> on reflection, there's probably like better experiences. <laughs> but at the time, you're so enthralled. <laughs> any like, you've mentioned some, but any like big cultural surprises or things that you really didn't know about um and how much did you know about japan before were you like did you watch japanese films i watched japanese films but i wasn't so there's a big anime anime culture there which i I wasn't as into i'd watched like a couple of anime shows and things but i hadn't i hadn't fully immersed myself in them then when i got there it was such a big part of the culture that i kind of embraced it and started going out like started watching all those things I went to like manga shops and started buying the books and I, I started buying the, the the children's ones to try and learn how to read Japanese as well through that. So I bought these like uh, Doraemon, which was this very childish uh, character. And then I bought this other one that was like a little penguin character that I can't remember the name of, but I was just reading all those stories just to learn how basically how the language works. And because I thought that if I'm going to learn, like I might as well learn the, the, the kids way and work my way up. That's about as far yeah. as I got with those. Then the other thing was that I knew karaoke was big, didn't know how big it was. And so we would go out once a week to a karaoke place and we would go to a bar or something and we would drink for a few hours then we would go to the karaoke place pay 20 pounds at 10 11 at night and be able to stay there until five in the morning so so it was that but then but for 20 pounds you would get all the karaoke unlimited alcohol and soft drinks and i don't know if i should swear but it's my podcast so i can and? and ice cream oh <laughs> which was like why why are we getting ice cream but i'm not complaining are you aware how much they charge for karaoke in london i know because i came back and did it here and it was not cheap and also what you're saying is that what you did a lot during your time in japan was sing yes that's the other thing so that that was what i ended up embracing there was just like the culture of loving to sing with and then you come back here and people don't do it as much because i would like try and ask friends if they wanted to go to karaoke and nobody was that interested which was interesting like it was just like yeah. Weird thing. <laughs> yeah. I've like I have my capoeira group always wants to go to karaoke and I think it's very expensive, but we have been a few times, but it is very very expensive. That's the only reason I don't go here now is because it's like two hundred pounds for the night if you want to go play everyone yeah. <laughs> for two hours. Crazy. Was it your first time living away from home? No. I'd lived for six months in New York before that, but I felt like that was a because New York's so similar to London, I'd felt like it wasn't that different living there, whereas living in Japan was extremely different. So it was because the culture is so different there i really felt it as opposed to new york where i didn't feel a difference and also like it's a different language and everything i think that that helps a lot you know we're so exposed to the american culture anyway here that it's it's not anything surprising yeah the other thing is you you said you stayed for a year and a half yeah about a year and a half and you stayed straight you didn't come did you come home in the meantime i came home over christmas purely because everyone else had left as well and i was like i'm not gonna stay here on my own and like stay here for Christmas. And the, but the other, actually one weird thing I found out about was that they kind of celebrate Christmas there, but the way they celebrate it is on Christmas day, it's tradition for everyone to get KFC. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> just your face <laughs> so I know like I have a Portuguese friend who married in the UK with 
an English guy, and when she first spent Christmas with them, because like our big meal is the Christmas Eve, then we also have Christmas lunch, but it's Christmas Eve dinner is the biggest meal, and they had pizza for Christmas Eve, and I was like, how? (laughs) But now like KFC is even worse somehow. I'm gonna show you something on on this. Yanis is showing me what's his name, Colonel Sanders in full Christmas, (laughs) like uh, Father Christmas gear. (laughs) He's dressed as Father Christmas. And that's like an image you can't unsee. <laughs> now, every time I'll, I see Colonel Sanders, yeah. I will think of him as Claus. Yeah, so that's all I think about with KFC now. It's just like, oh, it's Christmas, KFC time. It makes it even creepier. I do know, like, uh, Yanis and I, and I have a friend who lives above a KFC. <laughs> so it's Christmas every day <laughs> for many. Even though she doesn't eat it. Yeah, only smells it. Might be worse. Is there anything you really want to share about your time in Japan? Oh, I stayed in a, a capsule hotel once. Oh, capsule hotel. So those ones that you have like little pods to sleep. Yeah, in. that was an interesting experience because it's separated on floors of men and women as well. So it's a real, there's a real thing there of like the separation between men and women they have there that, that I noticed that, that actually a lot more than uh, here, for example, where I feel like we're a lot more, we're a lot closer at least, it feels like. So they separated us. I went with um, two female friends. And so, uh, so I was on my own on this floor, went into this capsule and it's literally just like sleeping in a box. But um, there was a thing where there was a TV in front of me lying on a bed a TV in front of you and a plug socket and that's it. Turn on the TV and it's straight up like hardcore porn on the TV. It's <laughs> just like, I don't want to watch hardcore porn in a capsule. And I also don't want to think about the fact that people have probably done this in this lying right here. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to know this. It's like, so small. <laughs> There's no and You could hear everything around you as well. So. Did you hear other people watching porn next to the next no. capsule? <laughs> I couldn't hear anyone watching anything. But the idea that there have definitely been people that have been watching it and I don't want to think. Was that your bravest moment while you were living in That's not my bravest moment. <laughs> I just like, I will sleep here even though everything... I know everything that breaks out. <laughs> I will close this capsule and knowing that anyone can open it at any moment, <laughs> I'm going to take this chance. <laughs> no. <laughs> Disgusting to think about. I just like, I asked that question because I remember why we're talking about this and it is the concept of... I realise, yeah, I haven't talked much about the bravery side of this. Yeah, that's fine. I'm like, I'm the one leading the podcast. So it's me that needs to take you back to that. <laughs> do you consider that was a brave thing to do, to just go to another country that whose language you don't speak. Yeah, I think it's very brave because I could have, essentially I could have been in the middle of nowhere, not known anyone and not had any friends there or anything like that, not made any friends, not been able to speak the language and been stuck for a year, year and a half, not been able to do anything. And so like to put myself in that situation, I, I think it took bravery to kind of take a chance on it and hope that something would come of it. And did something come of it? Yeah, I, I'm assuming you've enjoyed the experience and it's like brought things for your... Yeah, it was a great experience and I've like got friends for life from there I got loads of experiences living there I got to see a side of the world that I didn't know about as much as I thought I did and I got to try living in a place where that was very very different to London as well there was not a lot not a whole lot to do there that was in my comfort zone I feel like so every day was out of your comfort zone yeah so if you had to teach like six months old on like a, a weekly base yeah. I think You've won, Yanis. That's like. <laughs> I was teaching those, and then I was also teaching all the way up to 18. And so, yeah, when it got to 18, I was just having conversations with them. I was supposed to be teaching them, but I was just talking to the, them. The 18 year olds, I imagine, then 
would speak English. They would speak it to some like some some competent level, essentially. Like they were they were like able to have a conversation, like a basic conversation with you. And then you would just like kind of draw things out of them that they thought they didn't know, but then realized they did. Yeah. So that's just the way you went about that's it. That's a cool way of like I guess teaching a language or learning a language. It's like to be distracted about learning it. Because that's like I I know that's yeah. one of the things I studied Italian and my Italian teacher used to say that she found and I don't know if have you taught English to any other uh, nationality other than Japanese people like one or two lessons to so actually to some Italian people because what my Italian teacher uh, would say and she taught like in Portugal and like in Germany at least and she used to say that there's a difference of when you're teaching a new language to Catholic people and Protestant people because uh-huh. Catholics are more afraid of sinning or they're they have the concept of sin way more embedded in them so that they're more afraid of mm. making mistakes when they're speaking a language and protestant people will take more risks because they're not as to interesting to make mistakes i wonder if you found any of that <laughs> yeah they were like very unwilling to the youngest kids were willing to make mistakes then it got to around like the teenage years and they didn't want to say anything for fear of making a mistake because it had been kind of put into them because they don't they they see it they see that as failure and like failing altogether if they like get one thing wrong that's everything they failed and i think that comes from like their, their education at school yeah because they have like such a it's more strict there than it is here i think that happens everywhere right you you become more afraid of failing you become more afraid of falling you become more afraid of doing stuff as you age but i guess the idea i have of japan as well if I've never been there. I've met Japanese people, but I've never been to Japan. You've met some? <laughs> I have. I have met some Japanese people. Oh. Just so you know, I, I'm like, I know people. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was the only one. The idea I have is that they're, more, they're stricter. So yeah, makes sense. Yeah, it was it was tough to get them to get it. I found like around 12, 13, so about 16, those were the toughest ages to teach. And then after that, it got a little bit easier again. Because I, I don't know what it is. I, I don't know if it's just a teenage thing as well. I guess it's a mixture of everything. When you, you taught English to Italian people, how was that? In what setting was that? Uh, it was only a couple of lessons. So that was when I was training. So this was in London as well. And we had people that didn't speak English very well that wanted to like learn, but also couldn't afford it. So they would come in and learn from the trainees for free. And so we got our practice in and they got to learn as well. Oh, here's something I'm really familiar with, because that's how I do my hair. I go to hairdressing training academies and I get my hair cut for free. So they get to learn how to cut my hair, I get a haircut for free, and I... You tell me, but I think I never had a bad haircut. I can't really remember like, too much about it. I remember one guy who, one Italian guy who I had to teach one-on-one, and he didn't speak English well, but he was like really trying and like didn't wasn't afraid of like making mistakes mm-hmm. so that was a that that was a noticeable difference there i guess yeah. i don't know i don't know what if he was catholic or protestant or anything yeah. <laughs> that's like uh and also like i guess like her idea is that then like countries that are a majority of one of these because not everyone like in portugal not everyone is mm. catholic but the majority of people are so the culture ends up being further towards that being afraid yeah. of mistakes and stuff like that but I don't know. That's her experience. She yeah. also used to, and I like. I'm. I'm wondering if she'll listen to this. And like, uh, this is all with love because I. I do really like. It. <laughs> but, uh, she. She also used to play this game with a friend. It's, it has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But it's fun. She used to play this game with a friend that whenever they traveled, they'd go like to the main square in the city yeah. and just count the number of men with mustaches. 
and that was another like cultural difference they will find in like, I, I, I want to play that game fun. and like i think from her experience the like in morocco and in portugal there were like the highest majority of mustaches in the world interesting and i guess like in portugal it's decreasing i wouldn't expect it from portugal yeah i would kind of expect like morocco seems like realistic but then like portugal came, seems like i wouldn't expect it there i think like people from my parents generation there's a lot of mustaches then like younger people don't have mustaches that much my father has a mustache yes i guess that's how i do my stats my father has a mustache me and my sister don't have a mustache, so I guess my father's generation is likelier to have a mustache than the younger generation, so the number of mustaches in Portugal is decreasing. And I do have a master's in science, so I guess I know. I think, like, um, if you go to, say, like, Greece or Cyprus, I think that it'd be quite common. Yeah. I feel like you find a lot there, especially in the older generation. Yeah, then let's play this game when we're allowed to travel again let's start counting mustaches everyone <laughs> uh, and i forgot to tell you this before the podcast recording so you'll be caught by surprise Ooh. but is there like any personality friend whatever that you want to call, call out I, i'm mostly looking for like maybe examples of a personality that everyone knows but also if you have a friend you want to call out for for that you think are an example of uh, bravery or um i got like the only i got one person that could come to mind it, it, it makes like no sense because I, I can't remember <laughs> his name i remember his first name but i'll tell you i can tell you like the basics for why i think he's brave but it's like it's just like clear bravery it's not like a like a, it's not like an abstract form of bravery <laughs> it's the guy alex something that did the um he did like the free climbing oh, the guy from like the documentary of... <laughs> i don't know why that's the person that came to mind that's also like i guess a cool thing and maybe i will keep doing this as a surprise because i guess it <laughs> reveals something about what you think about braveness or bravery i will keep saying braveness forever and ever you should call this you should call this podcast braveness no, it's called doubt because that's a uh a, a synonym for brave that no one knows and it's like a private joke with myself because i think doubty sounds like donuts and for some reason that's funny to me yeah i feel like i should expand on it if people don't know anyway <laughs> it's the documentary free solo and what he does is he um free climbs this uh cliff in is it yosemite i haven't watched the documentary and i haven't read a lot about it i feel like it's yosemite valley so it's called free climbing and he, what he does is it's extremely extremely high and he climbs it without any ropes or anything and you know you make one mistake and you're like falling to your death and it just like watching that I'm like that's brave because <laughs> my hands are sweating even watching that and thinking about it i wouldn't do that with ropes yeah i have uh i, I have trouble attempting a handstand which i have been attempting for a while oh i've never been able to do because that because i'm afraid of breaking my neck so you know <laughs> free climbing uh, a really high rock wouldn't be on my preference list you know what's weird is that i used to do front flips into a pool and now i i, I wouldn't do a handstand <laughs> into a pool you're falling in water it's like i don't know you can't hurt yourself it's true but I used to like run from the back and it's like do a front flip into a pool and it doesn't seem like safe. Yeah. Again, I think those <laughs> things I think that we also gain with age is being afraid of that sort of thing. Yeah, you learn what's safe and what's not. You learn you can die. But that could have killed me at any time. Even though like if you die as a kid, you ha will have lived less life. <laughs> if you die as a kid. That just seems so bleak. <laughs> I think that this is it. Perfect. Do you have any plugs? <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, you can follow me out on Twitter at ycove, which is just the letter Y, cove, not 
question. And on Instagram at Yaniscove, Y-I-A-N-N-I-S-C-O-V-E. And I've got my own podcast coming up that uh, Marianne is going to be a part of called Everyone's a Critic. And don't have a release date for it yet, but it will be out soon. And that's a podcast where the guest comes on and picks a film that's rated below 40% on Rotten Tomatoes and tells me why it's actually a good film. Thank you. And that's a wrap for the first episode of Doughty. Editing this podcast made me realize that when I listen to myself back in two times the speed, I sound like a valley girl. And that's the kind of thing I want to share with you. Don't forget we're recording remotely and I'm learning how to become a sound engineer from the internet. Any sound mishaps are bound to get better with time, so bear with me while I figure it out. You can follow me at, at Mariana's Beats on Instagram and Twitter, where I'll be posting all Dowdy updates. If you liked what you were hearing and are so inclined, support the podcast by rating and reviewing it. You can also tip me on Coffee or PayPal at Mariana's Beats. Thank you for listening and keep coming back. 